Well, good morning, Spruce Grove Community Church. To praise your name, that walls will begin to fall down. And Father God, this morning, even as we come into the presence of God, and as we worship you, as we call on your name, those same walls fall down here in our nation, in our midst, in our presence right now today. The very walls that we may have walked through these doors with don't need to stay there. And so, Father, as we come to worship your name, we lay all these things down and we say thank you that you are such an amazing God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you've done. So this morning, let's worship the living God for all he's done in our lives. Amen. Sometimes coming into the light is a scary thing. Sometimes it's easier to stay in the darkness. It's easier to hide. It's easier just to sit in whatever that stuff is that sometimes holds us down. And one of the things I just see going on right now, and the Bible says this in Ephesians, it says, Awake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine his light on you. There is a point where we have to choose to arise and come out of that stuff. Otherwise, we stay in the stuff. And all that's going on here today is people saying, I don't want to stay in the stuff anymore. I don't want to stay in the stuff anymore. And so this morning, as we're doing this, all we're doing is saying, I don't want that stuff ruling my life anymore. I'm going to come out. I'm going to celebrate who he is. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to call his name. And I'm going to declare this as truth. Because this is the truth. As the light of Christ shines on this stuff, it begins to fade away. Jenna, why don't you come? Jenna just wants to. But I had this word burning in me for our body. And the Lord has been speaking to me about the widow and what the widow represents. And the widow is someone who has experienced great loss. And I, I actually can't think of anything worse uh, than losing the one that you love. I, I've never experienced that. But um, uh, to see these women in this room, uh, they have to make a choice at some point. Either they're going to continue living in this place of sorrow uh, for the rest of their life when they've lost the one that they love, or they have a choice to step out of that. And actually, it's impo- it seemed impossible <laughs> for a lot of the women, but... Um, that's something that God actually can only do. And I had this word for the body because I believe it's for anybody who has that uh, feeling of the widow in their hearts. And I saw Darlene's stomach cracking open and this light beginning to shine out. And I felt like the Lord had said that it's time to take off the cloak of the widow and put on the garment of light. And so I want to speak that over the ones in this room that feel like they're walking with the cloak of the widow, the cloak of the disappointed, the cloak of the the lost, the cloak of the ones that have been left feeling like they've been left behind or, or, um, abandoned. And even what Jen was speaking about the anxiety of not knowing what the future holds, I believe that is tied in with the feeling of being a widow. And so I just want to speak over this body that it is time for the cloak of the widow to come off the heavy garments that pull us down and that the light, the garment of light would come and it would shine through. But it is a breaking and it feels like a scary thing. But I just want to encourage you that the light shining out and the cracking, it is all for something greater at the end. And so we just speak that over these women, over these people. This isn't just a widow thing. Oh God, help us to reach those places in our minds where we're locked up, where we feel abandoned. Oh, I'm just feeling such a wall. There's just such a wall. It is such a heavy cloak that needs to come off. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you strip it down and only you can do that. We stand up before you, God, and we lay, we lay that before you, God. Only you can take those garments off. Only you, God, can take those garments off. My spirit was suddenly alarmingly stirred by something that Ken was releasing on the piano. And as I gave myself to that, and this is the first time I've ever had this at all, but I just, in my spirit, I just clearly, absolutely knew that Ken was playing something prophetic on the piano, which he often does, but if you'd ask him, he'd say, no, no, but which he often does, but Ken was playing something prophetic on the piano, 
And I just absolutely so clearly knew what it was. And so I, I got up and I started talking about light showers. And you know, if you stand outside in the rain, what you get is wet. And uh, as it continues to rain, your yard gets soggy and ugly. But with light showers, the showers that come from heaven, showers of blessing, mercy drops are falling, but for the showers we plead. As those showers of heaven fall on us, it's light showers. It alivens you. It brings your spirit into faith. It brings your spirit into life. It brings your spirit into light. Light is always a good thing. Light is always a good thing. You know what grows in the dark, right? You know what you feed mushrooms, right? We don't want to be mushrooms. We want to be trees planted by springs of water. And so we receive light showers, showers that come from heaven, showers that are released through a prophetic word or through a song or through a dance or something that goes on, something that's released into heaven. And we just somehow, we have this ability to open up our spirits and receive into our spirit that thing that comes from heaven, that thing that is light. When I hear that term, it makes me think of this. People are going to be free, not just us. When I think of light showers, I think this is going to hit all over the place. And I see this and I feel it in my spirit. And so, Father, we agree with that word that light showers are going to pop up all over this region, all over this province, all over this nation, and all over the nations. And, Father God, that people who are walking in the dark will no longer walk in the dark. The season is over. It's time for them to walk in the light. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your call on our lives to step out of our comfort zones and into your light, God. As uncomfortable as it is, God, it is for our good and it's for your glory, God. And we thank you that you are a good, good Father that regardless of how we feel and regardless of, of wanting to stay in our comfort zone, God, that you're a good Father that gives us that kick. You're that Father that, that pushes us out of the nest when we need it, God. And we thank you for, for that kick out so we can fly, so we can see the light, so that we can grow, God. So take our worship. It's all about you. Our worship in our voices, our worship in our, in our finances, our worship uh, in our relationships, God. It's all for you. It's all about you. In your name. Amen. All right, so now, so let's welcome Jim Denotter. So a couple of weeks ago, no, probably a couple months ago now, uh, here in the service, um, God gave me something that I would call a word of wisdom. And that operates in my life in a way where uh, he, he drops something into my spirit, and I say it, and I realize after I say it, I didn't know that before. But I know it's true now, all of a sudden. I, I know in my heart that this thing is real, and it's true, and it's valuable. And then, often after that, I'll go and research it a little bit, so that maybe I can gain some understanding about it, and maybe be able to explain it a little more than just this sense, suddenly, that this thing is true. And... The, the thing that, that, that came out, and this, I, I think, happened sort of two weeks in a row, one, in, one at the end of August and the one in the first week of September, I think. And it was this idea that, and it was really interesting, of course, that uh, Jen talked a little bit about, about anxiety this morning. But it really was this idea that the way to combat anxiety in your life isn't to fight anxiety. You can't fight anxiety. It just ramps up. You know, if you, if, you, if you feel anxious and you just sit here and you try and squash it, even try to argue with it, look, nothing's going to happen. It's not going to be that bad. It's a, you fight with anxiety. You recognize anxiety. You know what happens to anxiety? How many of you have ever suffered from anxiety? Does it get worse when you fight it? It gets worse. So what's the answer? And suddenly at that moment, God showed me the answer to fighting anxiety was to change the topic of conversation. Was to simply 
ignore the anxiety for a minute. I realize it's hard to do while it's happening. But to ignore it and to begin to declare who God is. And I don't even mean who God is in the circumstance relevant to the thing. That's too much thinking. I'm anxious right now. I can't do that thinking. Just start to declare who God is. Just things you know about who God is, whether they seem relevant or not in the moment. And you'll find that in a few minutes, half an hour, whatever it is, different for different folks, different for different circumstances, you'll realize the anxiety has kind of disappeared because you're not feeding it. In fact, you're choking it off <laughs> because you're declaring the goodness of God. And I'll give you another thing. When you do that and habitually begin to do that anytime you feel anxious, our adversary, Satan, stops wanting to throw anxiety your way. Because every time he does it, God gets glorified. That's not really satisfactory. That's not what he's going for. He's going for panic from one of God's loved ones. And so this was the thing that, that, that hit me during that time, right, right here, you know, at the front during the service. So then we got to thinking, yeah, but do we know who God is well enough to do that? <laughs> what, if, what if I only know one, one little thing about God, and I'm just saying it over and over and over. I'm telling you, it's still help. It still help, but it doesn't feel somehow as, as broad, as significant. And I think there's a need for us to know who God is. And so, Heavenly Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be so present with us this morning that would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to a greater understanding of who you are and why that matters this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Hmm. And in John, just so that we you know, get some New Testament in here too, in John 17 verse 3, it says, And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So scripture tells us that knowing God is critically important. It's the thing we should be able to boast about. It's the thing that cuts through so many other things. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to go through some simple things about who God is as revealed in his word. And this is, this is a simple little study. It takes little time to, you know, even to prep or whatever. But I think that the power of it is very significant. As I began to dig and say, who is God? And what's been revealed in his word. It's, it's funny, yesterday morning I'm sitting at my computer, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm almost weeping. Like I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm feeling, you know, my, my eyes are prickling. And, you know, I'm, 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 and I'm just realizing again, again, oh my goodness, my God. Wow. Wow. So let's take that attitude this morning as we look. I'm, I'm going to, to deal with a few things, but you know what? I don't want to get caught up. Galen said to me, you know what? You can read off the list of all his Hebrew names if you want. Just don't get caught up in it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so you know what? I, I think I will do it just up front. I'll tell you a bunch of names and their meaning real quick. But this is not about memorizing which Hebrew word means which thing. We will completely lose the point of this if we spend too much time making this an intellectual exercise, okay? And I know that, you know, in Bible college, you might have had to memorize these, and that's good. <laughs> but the reality is, this is more about the reality behind it than it is about the words. And yet, right up front, God is Jehovah, Yahweh, the great God. 
He is Jehovah M. Kadesh, who sanctifies. We'll talk about these. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Tzekenyu, the Lord who is our righteousness. Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals. Jehovah Nissei, God our banner. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts or armies. Jehovah Ra'ah, the shepherd. He is Elohim, El Shaddai, El Olam. He is Adonai. He's all these things. So what are they? Wow, words. Okay, let's dig in. God is love. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. And that's how much he loved that he gave his son. Now, there's an interesting piece here because we can go overboard on misunderstanding God's love. And I, I, want, I want to be clear with this. He loves you personally. He loves you individually. He knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. He already knew you. You were fully formed in the mind of God before you ever were even conceived. He knew you. He knows the end from the beginning, and he loved you, and he loves you. But he sent his son to do what? To die? Wait a minute. Okay, I appreciate that he loved me enough to send his son. I'm not sure I appreciate, if I'm the son, just how loving is this that I got to go and die? And, you know, we hear God is love, God is love, and then we read in the Old Testament, he said to wipe out this entire nation completely and totally, blot them from the face of the earth so they will be remembered no more. Kill every man, woman, and child, and even the animals. And God is love? How is that, how is that loving? And then, and then he says, but here's my laws, Here's the owner's manual. This is how things work for you. This is what makes life work for you better. And he puts all of these things in there that make me uncomfortable. Like he says, you know, don't be a glutton and I love to eat. How's that loving? And he, 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 he tells me how to behave sexually. But how, what if I feel like doing something different? How is that loving? And there's all of these questions and what happens in our society today right now is that people judge God then and say he is not loving. They judge God and say he is not good because those things I want to do, he says no, sometimes. And so how can that be loving? And we have to recognize a couple of things right from the word go. And we're going to see lots of stuff here that's, that's really cool. But there's a number of things we want to recognize right off the bat. And that is, if there's something we don't understand, that's because we don't understand it. It's not because it isn't so. It's just because we don't understand it. And sometimes even yet. And so I want to tell you that God's love is so great that he made absolutely certain that every single individual on earth has a chance to come to him to be clean, and to have eternal life with him. That's how much he loved. In the Bible, God is referred to as Jehovah or Yahweh. It's an interesting thing. They're actually the same word, and we don't even know how it was pronounced because they stopped pronouncing it over 1,700 years ago um, in, in Israel. They don't pronounce the word anymore. They've actually taken the vowels out of it, so it just becomes Y-W-Y-H in our, in our script. And and so you, you kind of go, okay, so Yahweh, that's as close as we get to, to the pronunciation of that. And it is, it is the name of the independent, self-complete being who says, I am who I am. I am who I am. That's the only way he can describe himself. When you ask God, what's your name? He goes, I am who I am. That big. Everything. I am. That's it. God is the God who sanctifies us. What does sanctifies mean? It means it separates us from evil. Do you know that's his job? Whoa, what? 
I thought I was supposed to separate me from evil. Aren't I supposed to just behave properly? God separates us from evil. Do you know that he can actually make evil look yucky? (laughs) He can make evil something you don't even like. Something you don't even want. Something you don't want to pursue. We find that as we get closer to God, things that maybe once upon a time we struggled with, we actually look at and go, who wants that? God sanctifies us. Very cool. God is the God of peace. Shalom. We're meant to know God's peace. His peace, I'm going to give you two things on this that are so cool. One of them we've said here for years because I I can't even remember who said it. No, I I do actually. Um, I don't know how many of you know Trevor Meyer. He's a youth pastor guy out of Winnipeg. Trevor was here a number of years ago. And he said something that hit me like trip hammer hard. He said, so if you want the peace that passes understanding, you have to give up your right to understand it. What? We think peace comes through understanding. If I just knew why this was all happening, I could be peaceful in it. And God says, no, no, that's not how peace works. Peace works when you say, Okay, fine. I don't need to understand it. I just need your peace, Lord. I just need your peace. I was talking to my brother, and he had a call from a a fellow from one of the congregations who was fighting with his wife. And he was messed up. He just, he did not know how to deal with this situation that he was in. And so he calls Ron, and they sit down, and they have coffee together. And as they talk these things through, you know, in about a half an hour to 40 minutes or something, there's clarity. There's, there's some clear ideas of, of, you know, first of all, some things maybe I can change in my life, some things I can repent of, some steps that we could take together. Some, and the guy looks at him and he says, I don't know how you do that. Like, I'm, I was so completely caught up in this whole thing. I just, I couldn't possibly think my way through it. I just messed right up. And yet you could just, just see this thing and parse it out so easily and just make it so clear. How do you do that? And Ron laughed. He says, no, no, okay. You're kind of seeing this wrong. He says, let me, let me give you a little example from scripture of what kind of just went on here. So in scripture, there's this place where Jesus is in the bottom at the bottom of a boat, and, the, and it's nighttime, and the guys are trying to sail across the galley, and it's storming. And this boat, and these are professional fishermen, okay? These are not like, you know, guys who don't know about boats. These are professional fishermen, and they are now aware of the fact they are going down, okay? This storm is too big for this boat, and we are in deep trouble, And oddly, by the way, in those days, a lot of guys who lived on the water didn't know how to swim. I don't quite understand that thing, but it it is true. Uh, On the other hand, with that kind of a storm, my guess is swimming is not necessarily going to help you very much. So they're in there, and they're panicking. And one of them notices that Jesus is sitting there sleeping. And he grabs him by the shoulder. Lord, Lord, don't you know we're all going to die? And Jesus kind of wakes up. He looks, he goes... Oh, yeah, okay, kind of stands up in the boat. He says, peace, be still. And How could he do that? How could he do that? My brother said, it's because it wasn't his storm. It's not my storm. I knew that wasn't my storm. Jesus knew what he came to do. This wasn't his storm. It's not his big deal. And that's why when Jen's counseling with someone and she can see kind of through the thing, it's because it's not her storm. It's a lot harder for me to counsel me than it is for me to counsel you. (laughs) It's your storm. (laughs) But most of the time, it's not your storm. Most of the time, it's not your storm. And as the God of peace, 
If we just begin to declare, God, I know you are the God of peace. I don't feel the least bit peaceful right now. Can I have your peace? Can I have your peace? Because you are the God who, and begin to declare. Let's look. He's the God who provides. Just as he provided yesterday, he'll provide today and tomorrow. He provides deliverance from your sin. He provides joy instead of sorrow. He provides, he provides your salvation. Eternal citizenship in his kingdom. It's not just providing material goods, but he does that too. So if our anxiety is because of uh, material supply, declare that he's the provider. He is our righteousness. The Lord who is our righteousness. God himself stands for you in Jesus Christ and calls you clean because of his blood, of Jesus' blood. You know, we started by saying God is love. And the other day, we, we, uh, Gaylene ran into a little thing from Oswald Chambers, uh, my utmost for his highest, you know, you know, for those of you who've read those devotionals. But this particular one is out of, I think, November 21st or something. And it says this. Now, remember, we started by saying God is love, and he is. But it says, beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. God is so kind and loving that, of course, he will forgive us. That thought, based solely on emotion, cannot be found anywhere in the New Testament. The only basis on which God can forgive us and reinstate us to his favor is the tremendous tragedy of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Forgiveness, which is so easy for us to accept, cost the agony of Christ on the cross. To forgive sin while remaining a holy God, this price had to be paid. This is the character of God himself. Yes, he is love, but he is holy. And so his love demanded that there's a way that you can come to him, but his holiness demanded that the price be paid. So his mercy demanded that he send his son so that the price can be paid and we can be restored. Do you see the way that all hangs together? And so, never accept a view of the fatherhood of God if it blots out the atonement, the required payment that was made. The revealed truth of God is that without the atonement, this payment, he cannot forgive. He would contradict his very nature if he did. The thing that awakens the deepest fountain of gratitude in a human being is that God has forgiven his sin. Once you realize all that it cost God to forgive you, you'll be held as in a vice constrained by the love of God. That's good. Thank you for your love, God. But thank you for providing a way. Thank you that you didn't compromise your holiness. Because if he compromised his holiness, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be holy. He is the God who heals. God provides the only remedy for man's brokenness. Through his son, Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is the medicine you need. Oh, God heals us physically, certainly. But the greater healing, the greater healing he does is restoring our spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your healing. God is our banner. What does that mean? In war, they used to lift a banner. And when they fought, they fought under the banner. And keeping that banner up was the job of the banner bearer. It's not a great job because they're holding this banner and people are trying to knock it down. Now, my favorite position. And yet it was so critical because it is the thing that encourages everybody to go on is that we are under his banner. This is, and it reminds us constantly what we're fighting for. Thank you for being our banner, Lord, for giving us the victory through Lord Jesus. God is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. The Lord reigns over a vast, well-ordered host in the heavenlies. 
God's always there to fight our battles, to win our wars. There's no enemy he can't defeat. You know, we get this weird idea sometimes that God and Satan are sort of nearly equal opposites. Okay, get real. Satan is a created being who could be unmade with a word, okay? This isn't, this isn't like some contest where the outcome is somehow in, in question. Our choices can be in question. But the final outcome is what it is. And why does it play out this way? Why doesn't God just remove Satan? There's a greater purpose, much of which we don't understand. Okay, I'm okay with that. I have peace. God is our shepherd. Hmm. He's a friend, a leader. He provides extravagant nourishment, protection, as well as rest for our weary bodies and souls and minds and hearts. God is strength, power. Elohim, it's the great name of God, displaying his supreme power, sovereignty, faithfulness. Mm, God is faithful. He's not capricious. He does, he's not moody. Sorry, bad word. I mean, the big word, capricious. <laughs> no, moody, we can just go with that. <laughs> he doesn't just change his mind. He's faithful. By the way, I found something interesting that, that I didn't know. Probably uh, Gav could have told me this, I don't know. But the word Elohim, which is, you know, again, one of the primary names of God, if you will, is actually plural in Hebrew. I don't know why the Jews never figured out that Elohim being plural is important. But it's actually a plural word. So God would say we. It's, it's, a, it's a foretaste of the Trinity, of the, of the three-part singleness of God. God is most high. He's absolutely sovereign over everything. We see the name El Shaddai. This means God Almighty, the God who is all-sufficient and all-bountiful and the source of all blessings. The word Shaddai has an odd other meaning. The word Shad means breasted. El Shaddai actually also means many-breasted one. Gives you the idea of nurture. It also lets you know that male and female, he created them in his image. So that's, that's an interesting one because there's people who have real trouble with that, with the word Shad being part of Al Shaddai, and they, they kind of go, well, yeah, but then you get off into all sorts of error with these, you know, demons and... Bu-. Stop it! You can't counterfeit something that doesn't exist. So the counterfeits are the counterfeits. We know that. We got that already. But the truth is still the truth. Even if people counterfeit it, he is Al Shaddai. Mm. Yeah, what Gaylene was just saying, just for clarity, you I mean, how many of you have ever seen a counterfeit $14 bill? <laughs> Other than Liam. <laughs> he made one. <laughs> I mean, there's no counterfeit 14 because there's not a real one. You can't counterfeit something that doesn't exist. So the fact that they've got, you know, these many-breasted demon god thingies is actually because it is part of the nature of God to be nurturing. What? Oh, okay, okay. See, Gaylene is part of this. But just from there, she's just saying, I think many of you have heard this before, but it's actually very true. Over the years, do you know how bank tellers learn to detect counterfeit bills? By handling the real ones. If you handle counterfeit bills for a while, you'll lose track of which is which is what you like. You won't be able to feel anything anymore. If all you've ever felt is real money, the second you feel something that isn't, it's so clearly not. Okay? So bank tellers over the years have been taught to feel money, and all they're ever told to feel is real money. So that if they ever get one that isn't, they go, what is this? That's weird. Okay? So this, and especially back in the days when money wasn't plastic. So, <laughs> anyway, 
it's an important thing because it's a great parallel analogy for us as well. How do we detect false gospel? How do we detect false doctrine? How do we detect people are kind of going off the edge here on, a, on, a, on an odd tangent? Only by knowing the real word of God. Only by knowing the truth. By knowing who God is, when somebody says he's something that he's not, it'll sound off. It'll grate. You'll sit there and you go, whoa, whoa, that can't be right. Wait a minute, what? And then you can go look it up in the word. Okay. Uh, God is transcendent, El Olam. What that means is, do you know that God isn't even part of our universe by default? He created it. Do you know things like time is something that God came up with? So God exists outside of time. It's not, it's not that God has always been there. It's that time didn't exist. Now, our brains are not meant to understand that. So we don't. But we can accept it as fact. God created time, therefore time has no real impact on him. Which probably means that's why it is that he can see your life. All of it. The stuff that's still to come, just by looking. Which is why it's so hilarious sometimes that we come into church and somebody says, will you pray for me? And I go, well, I can't pray for you because I yelled at my kids this morning. So I've disqualified myself. It's like, do you think you stand before God as who you are right now in this instant? No, you stand before God in your life. Lots of it you don't know yet, but he does. He sees who you're going to be. He knows who you finish as. He knows the sum totality of you. Right now he knows it. So when you come in before him, you're coming before him with your... 107 years. Amen. God is infinite. He's beyond measurement. We can't define him by, by proportions or magnitude. We, we can only sort of try a little bit, but our brains don't go there. He's got no beginning, no end, no limits. He's all-powerful. He spoke all things into being, and all things... Every microorganism, he spoke it into being. He understood how it had to work, and he made it work that way. The cosmos, the massiveness of of stars that are many times bigger than our entire solar system just in a star. And then there's billions of them. And it didn't matter, because he created the universe for us, and all that other stuff is just extravagant waste. It just doesn't matter. Because it, it doesn't cost him anything. Because he's everything. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, now, you know, this is one of those things where I hate, I hate to do this in some ways because it's not like I'm recommending necessarily, but the movie The Matrix. Do you realize that people were plugged in to this matrix, right? So in essence, the matrix was everywhere, and people say, well, how could God be everywhere? How could he know everywhere? Just think about that for a minute. It's like we're all plugged into God. What if, what if our entire universe is actually just in his mind? What? <laughs> God is good. He is kind, caring, and full of favor to all creation. He doesn't change. He's always been, and he doesn't change. He's ever perfect. And you can count on him being who he said he is. He's Adonai, which means master, lord, owner. We don't, we don't know what lord means anymore. We live in a democracy. We grew up that way. Our parents grew up that way. Their parents grew up that way. We don't know what lord means Master, what does that mean? I'm telling you what it means. It means you're owned. You're a slave. Which means he's responsible. Ha ha. Ha ha. Hey, I'm just a slave here, man. He's just. He's just. He's righteous and holy, fair and equitable. And we can always trust him to do what's right. 
but he's holy. And that's not just our, our idea of perfection. He is just simply untainted in any way. Perfect. He's self-sufficient. All things are his to give, and all that's given is given by him. Everything we give to him was stuff he originally gave to us. It's funny, in, in, in the Bible he says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. He, he's also sarcastic. <laughs> it's his word. I'm just repeating it. He doesn't need anything from us. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us so we could give him honor. Hmm. He's all-knowing. Knows absolutely everything because he sees it all, all at the same time. And that's not a problem for him. It's not like you and me where, you know, one of our kids is pulling at our leg while we're trying to do something and we're on the phone at the same time and it's just crazy and we can't deal with it. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, there's these weirdos who say, you know, I ask God what color socks to put on in the mornings. Like God could be bothered with that. Excuse me, nothing bothers him. Nothing bothers him. He's got time for you. Even if it's about putting what color socks on. It's okay. Now, I'm suggesting that if you grow up and you're not a baby, there's some times when you should be able to probably figure that out too. But you can involve him in the decision. Hey, how about this, Lord? Gray today? Sure, why not? He can deal with it. He is everywhere. Sort of like my uh, Matrix comment. Do I not fill the heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He's merciful. And this is that neat thing. So you, you see this tension, right, between, between God's holiness, his love, his justice, and his mercy. And there's this nasty tension here. Because honestly, do you know what justice requires? It requires every one of us to die. We have all sinned. The wages of sin is death. Justice requires that we die, and he is just. But he's loving. And so he says, I don't want them all to die. But he's holy, and he says, I can't stand their sin. But he's merciful. So he says, I got a plan. And he sent his son to die. So that we don't have to. And so his justice and his holiness and his righteousness and his mercy are all fulfilled. He's wise. He knows and acts with perfect wisdom in all things and he always acts for our good. Which is to conform us to Christ. It's make, to make us Christ-like. He's sovereign. He, provides, he presides over every event, great or small. And he's always in control. He rules all creation with knowledge and power. And while he rules it, one of the things he's done is delegated a bunch of responsibility. And that's why it's in such a mess. And he's faithful. He can be wrathful. But unlike human wrath, anger... God's wrath is never moody. It's never self-indulgent. He never needs to get revenge. You know, parents, when you're disciplining a child, you know you're doing it wrong when you're getting revenge, right? But when you know that what you're doing is providing correction so that things will be better in the future and they won't go poorly, you know you're doing it right. So God's anger is never uh, lashing out it's actually his, his necessary reaction to moral evil. He's full of grace. It's God's good pleasure that moves him to grant value where it's undeserved, 
to forgive debts that can't be repaid. Mm. God is Father. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. The Spirit of God taught us to cry, Abba, Father, which is a Hebrew term that, or Aramaic term, actually, Abba, which actually means Daddy. Daddy God. Daddy Father. The creator of the universe cares for you just the way a father would care for his only child. It's pretty cool, I think. He's our comforter. Ooh. That can be that can be pretty important. The Holy Spirit provides comfort. So again, as we begin to declare those things, if you if you're finding yourself in trouble or in anxiety, Declare his peace. Declare that he's a comforter. Declare that he's faithful. Declare that he's the provider. Declare that he's just. Declare that he's merciful. Declare that he's loved. Declare that he's good. Oh, by, whoa, whoa, it's gone already. God is our intercessor. That's interesting. Knowing our temptations, God the Son stands before the Father and intercedes for us. He opens the door so that we can boldly ask for mercy. That we can ask for deliverance. So God both starts and finishes the prayers. Himself. God is the head of the church. Jesus as the head, the part of the body that sees, hears, thinks, and decides. He gives the orders that the rest of the body lives by. So when we don't know what to do, we go to the head. He provides direction. He provides clarity. He provides initiative, motivation. Do you know that, that the best definition I can give you really for grace, you know, we talk about unmerited favor, but the best definition that I've ever heard and proven from Scripture is the desire and ability from God to do his will. Do you know that God will give you the desire to do his will? I don't really want to do it. Well, ask for grace. He'll make you want to do it. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's not only the desire to do his will, but it's the ability to do his will. So if you want to do something and you can do it, it's going to get done, isn't it? So the grace from God is an active thing. It's not the same as mercy. Grace is active. Mercy is the, the willingness to, to find a way to get forgiveness, right? To provide forgiveness. Grace is an active thing daily. I have the desire and the ability from God to do his will. Lest anyone would boast, he says. Meaning, there's nothing to brag about. I gave you that ability and I gave you that desire. So don't brag about it. You're just kind of following along. Taking the path of least resistance, actually. It's very cool. So, you know, when God does get people to do these valiant exploits, the reality is we just give all the glory to God because he came up with the idea. He gave them the desire to do it. He gave them the ability to do it. He walked them through it. They did it. Great. So I honor them, but, you know, it's his deal. Can I have a Kleenex there, Chris? Thanks. Okay. God is our bridegroom. Hmm. Jesus is the bridegroom, and he's preparing a bride. That's us. For his son. So our relationship with him is therefore that of a helper and lover. Hmm. Now I'm going to tell you something else. Because I have a bride. And once upon a time, she was my fiancé. And I'm telling you right now that, well, Gaylene was my fiancé, and she has had to leave already, so, you know, that's why I'm not calling her up here for this. Um, if you would have come to me and told me, you know, she's kind of wrinkled and ugly, I might have had to hit you. Really. I might have just hauled off and wailed on you, whether or not you're twice my size. doesn't matter. Because that's my fiancé you're talking about. So you watch it. 
I told my kids when, we, when they were growing up, when they were in their teens, and one of them in particular got a little lippy, just one of them. The one who's here, the one who's not here, who knows? I said, hey, that's my wife you're talking to. And nobody, including me, and including herself, talks to my wife that way. By the way, when I hear my wife writing herself down verbally, I stop her and I go, whoa, that's my wife you're talking about. So stop it. Right? That's the way he feels about his church. So let us be really careful when we start talking negatively about his church. Because that's his bride you're talking about. Sound fair? Guess what? You're part of that bride. So you get to bask in it. You get to say, he is preparing a bride without spot or wrinkle, and that's me. And for the guys, that's so weird. (laughs) And it's so good. And finally, Elkanah, he is the jealous God. His jealousy is a holy, loving jealousy without any insecurity and any manipulation in it. But I'm telling you right now, he doesn't like it when something else is vying for your affections. He doesn't like it. And he will do whatever it takes to get your attention back. And sometimes that's painful to us. But I'm telling you, it's always because he wants to be with you. It's because of his love. It's because he actually knows what's best. Do you know that all of his laws and all of his stuff, none of it is to cramp your style. All of it is because it's actually way better for you. And that's his love. Those are just, I think, 32 or 33 of the things that I, you know, pulled out in an hour. (laughs) I could pull out another 33 for next week if you want. Because God is infinite. He goes on and on, and there's more and more. And as we just really lock into that in our understanding, in our, in our hearts, but even in our minds, we will find that we can turn to him in the middle of everything And we'll figure out most of it's not our storm. Thank you, Lord, for who you've revealed that you are. Thank you that you even let us in on it. That you let us know so that we can constantly, constantly be learning of you, be turning to you, be relying on you. That we don't have to become somebody. That success is never defined by what we've accomplished somehow, but only by how close we get to you. In Jesus' name, and in all these names, (laughs) the names of God, amen.